Hey, party people. Well, welcome once again to the Party of One podcast, the actual play RPG podcast where the gaming table is always set for two. I'm your host as always, Jeff Stormer. This week on the show, I am playing Gray Cells, a game of armchair mysteries with the game's creator, Cypro. It is uh, a tremendous game about mysteries, whether that be hard-boiled, noir-style whodunits, or, as in the case of the game we play today, sort of a cozier, Poirot-style, Agatha Christie-esque affair. It is a ton of fun. It really does capture that sense of solving a mystery, putting the clues together. It's a very cool game, and I'm really, really excited to get to play it, and I'm excited for you to get to hear it. I really, really loved it. You can find more information about Grey Cells in the show notes. You know, I don't really have a lot else to throw out this week, so let's go ahead and just dive right into the game, and I'll throw it over to me in the past so that he can get started with the show. Take a pass, me. Thanks, future me. This week, I am joined by Cypro. Cypro, thank you so much for coming on Party of One. Hello. Good to be here. Thank you very much for the invite. Of course. Um, So, why don't you take a moment at the top of the show to let our listeners at home know about the game that we're playing this week, as well as if you have any other projects, anything else that you might want them to know about. Uh, yeah, the game we're playing today is called Grey Cells, and it's a detective fiction mystery-based game, which I designed it so that it would be streamlined and it would help not only the players get, be able to navigate their way through a mystery effectively, but also help the GM to both create and run mysteries in ways that would be very intuitive, or at least intuitive as a convoluted mystery can be. Sure. I mean, and that makes sense, because I think it's a, it's it's... For I think like, it can be a very challenging genre to kind of run a game in. So I think any game that sort of takes an approach of let's kind of show or like let's make this so that it's easy to run really kind of helps sort of ease that process along. So I'm kind of really excited to get into it and to sort of, you know, I'm excited to solve a mystery. I think it's always a very it's it's fun to solve mysteries. Yeah, I've run mysteries in a bunch of different systems before that didn't really uh, support it as it were. And while sure. that's still a lot of fun, I decided to make the system just to have a dedicated mystery game uh, that I could put my name on, which is always nice. Mm-hmm. But also, like, some of this stuff you can pick up and plug into other games if you need to, or if you want to. Right. And so, yeah, that's part of my mission with this game, just to have that kind of play be more prevalent and more supported within the tabletop sphere that's yeah that makes that makes perfect sense and i i really i i i can see reading over the game how a lot of this stuff is stuff that you can just take and sort of run with in other directions Mm -hmm. so that makes a lot of sense so why don't uh so let me ask you obviously this is a game that can be played sort of in any classic detective uh genre setting etc so when and where is our story taking place today and then i will introduce uh my character and then we'll solve a mystery together so, as the name Grey Cells implies, uh, what really spawned this was like the stories of Hercule Poirot, mm-hmm. etc. So, our adventure today will be taking place in 1850s London. Uh, so, like Victorian era, horse and carriage, that kind of thing. The game itself can be played like early, like Victorian London, film noir, uh, or modern day police procedural, that kind of thing. But today, we're going to go for a classic. I love it. I'm very excited. So um, so my character this week is uh, Carlisle McMurray. Carlisle, uh, he, his pronouns, are, is, Kyler, Carlisle is a lifestyle reporter for a sort of, uh, for like a small press, like they, they uh, he makes small pamphlets, basically, 
you know, he is a lifestyle reporter. He's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. writing puff piece stories about the rich and famous. And honestly, like he would be perfectly happy to just do that forever and talk about, you know, what uh, what method Sir Sir Gallibrand of Northamshire is using to like, you know, to steep his tea. Yeah. What what what's what's the secret to to the signature tea of Sir Gallibrand? But alas, I am regularly pulled into more serious matters, somewhat kicking and screaming. <laughs> These things do have a bad habit of happening. They sure do. All right. Uh, whenever you're ready to start, I'm ready to throw us in. Let's let's dive in. Let's let's solve a mystery. All right. So, uh, the camera it settles upon this magnificent hall, like a large austere building with crowds gathering outside. Uh, all the noble gentry of London have queued to get in to the Royal Prince Albert Theatre, and uh, our good friend Carlyle has managed to secure an invitation after wheedling. Uh, wheedling a ticket from his, you know, from his paper, mm-hmm. saying, "Come on, this is the high society of London. It's the biggest play in town. We need to cover this." Of course, I mean, I, you know, this is, this is, this is what I do. Like, this is, you know, if 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 the movers and shakers of the London area are going to be in attendance, well, it only makes sense that I'd be there to cover it because, you know, who knows what kind of drama can come out of a posh theater opening and if i happen to get a free ticket to a show along the way well who's to say who's to say that's a problem i certainly won't complain Mm -hmm. so do you have a plus one or are you flying solo uh i think i am flying solo i think that i i have just i think i am i think i was given a plus one ticket i think i i think i held on to the ticket and there's just an empty seat next to me that i'm like i've like just left there so that I have that little bit of extra space, you know? Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Someone to put your feet up yeah. if you need to. All right. No problem. So the valets are super courteous. And although you're not dressed up quite as well as most of the people going in, uh, they treat you as royalty mm-hmm. and you are taken up to your seat. Uh, so did they manage to get you like a box seat or are you uh, like down in the stage pit or... How good is your view of the stage? I think I think my view of the stage is okay. I think I was not given a private box, but I was sort of because I also kind of think this that it you know it took a little bit of like arm twisting to get these tickets. So I think this was a little bit of a like last minute. Well, these are the tickets that we have that we didn't fill. So please bring two people, and I did not bring two people. Uh huh. Yeah, there is that, and as you are. Uh, yeah, as you are being taken to your seat, you are actually intercepted by someone. Well, let's see if you recognize them. Okay. Uh, give me an education check difficulty three. So my education is, my education is one. So I'm going to roll a D six. If I get a three or greater, that, that is a success. Yep. Yeah. Uh, to get a full success, you need two successful dice. So on one die, you can only ever get a partial, but it'll still give you something to go on. Yes. And I got a six. Excellent. All right. So, yeah, you see this guy and you recognize him, uh, mostly because of the of the place you find yourself. If you were running this guy on the street, you probably wouldn't have made the connection. But you see, this guy is a uh, uh, Kenneth Stross, 
and he's like the manager of the theater mm. now. Um, so you know that your paper had to pull strings directly with him in order to get that seat. And he approaches you and he's like a big guy with like a trim beard and a uh, kind of jolly disposition. And he walks up to you and says, Oh, you must be Carlisle. Ah, yes. Uh, wonderful to be recognized though. I'm sure as a uh, proprietor of the finest theater in London, you are certainly familiar with it. And I throw my most winningest smile. Mm-hmm. He says, well, I'm familiar with most who walk through these doors. I'd say you're a new face. That's probably why I picked you out of the crowd. Well, yes, I mean, you know, a novel, little novelty never hurt. <laughs> true that, true that. Well, hopefully uh, tonight's play, A Heart Split in Twain, shall be novel enough for all our guests. Well, I mean, you know, I can't say I'm fond of the experimental stuff, but uh, I'm sure that it will rouse emotion in me as it, uh, I am 100% speaking out of my patootie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he guffaws and says, well, I hope to read all about it in the paper. Oh, you most certainly will. My, my, I will spare no detail. This will be the most, ex- this will be the most thorough review of Heart Split and Twain that has ever graced a newspaper. Probably. Indeed, indeed. Well, without any further ado, please follow the valets. They'll take you where you need to go. Ah, wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for this wonderful opportunity to showcase the arts to the world at large. My pleasure. All right. He shakes your hand, doffs his cap, and uh, you are taken to your seat. So the hall itself is resplendent. Like each of the seats, uh, this the handrails are like done up in leaf of gold. They're like plush red velvet. It's super comfortable. And the sides of the hall are like carved with images of classic literature and have drapes and things hanging. It's a beautiful hall. Mm-hmm. And at the front of it is the big red curtain that blocks the view of the stage. Uh, is there anything you want to do before the play starts or do you just settle in? Uh, I think I'm going to look, I'm going to like scan the crowd and see if I recognize any faces, see if there's anybody like of note that is in attendance, any juicy scoops about attending, you know, who's on whose arm, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Right, right. All right. So give me an uh, observation check in difficulty five. Because, yeah, you're down in the in the crowd, as it were, and it's kind of hard to get a decent view of, like, the people in the crowd. Uh, that is a one success. So that is a partial success. So, you look around, and you see, like, you've got your little notebook, and you take a couple of notes of, like, who's sitting where, um, if anyone else, if any unexpected faces are showing up in private boxes, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, you take a couple of notes for your paper. Um, if they... If this information comes up later, I'll relate it to you then. But for now, you're just passively observing. Just making some notes, just kind of doing my 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 leisurely reporterly duty. You know, I, I mm-hmm. this should be a pretty easy case where I can't imagine anything goes wrong. Of course not. Why would such a thing happen? Anyway, so uh, after a moment, the lights, once everyone's taken their seats, the lights dim and... Uh, the band in the pit starts picking up the play, picking up the pace, and they open into a crescendo, uh, which marks the start of the play. Mm-hmm. Everyone settles into their seats, and soon 
the play begins. The curtain draws open and uh, you see a face recognized by most in London. His name is Bronson Everly. Uh, Bronson Everly? Uh, give me an- Wonderful. The Bronson Everly. So uh, give me an education check, difficulty two. Difficulty two. Okay, I will. My education is one. D6, education. That's a one. That's not a success. Uh, <laughs> most of what you know is rumor slash unsubstantiated. Mm-hmm. And while you may be convinced of the truth of these facts, uh, <laughs> unfortunately, you don't know a great deal about him. But still, one thing that you learn very quickly on is that this guy is a talented actor. He, yeah, from the first moment, he commands the stage and he weaves this tale along with the rest of his cast of a man rising through the ranks uh, of the army while his heart belongs to two. One, uh, one back in London and one abroad while he's afield and his life uh, traveling back and forth, being deployed and be- meeting with his two separate loves. It tears him in two. It's just like my story. It's not at all like my story. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Um, so yeah, the play progresses and soon enough, one of the lead actresses, haha, Velvet Delaware, uh, appears and like just steals the stage. She's beautiful. She is elegant. She commands, uh, she commands attention from the crowd and she shares just as much like respect and admiration from the crowd as Bronson does. The two play off each other masterfully throughout the play. And as it draws to the close and Bronson's character, his life becomes unsustainable as his heart is just like torn in too many different directions at once. It comes to a head when Velvet, heartbroken that he has been unfaithful, uh, points a gun at his chest while he begs her to forgive him, pulls the trigger, there's a puff of gunpowder, and um, and Bronson falls back. She falls to her knees, weeping, takes him in his arms, takes him in her arms and says, Oh, Charles, would it ever be so that we could live together again in another world? And then, uh, yeah, she just waits for a moment and says, in another world, Charles. Charles? Uh, she, yeah, she take, lifts her hands and sees that they're covered in blood. And she screams and falls back from the corpse. Swiftly, the curtain closes and an, uh, and the manager rushes forward on the stage. Uh, pardon us. <laughs> pardon us, everyone. It's just a slight, slight, uh, error in the play. We'll be back on show in just a moment. What a production. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, there's like loud muttering from the crowd. Then Some of them like startled, some of them are scared, some of them are not sure if this is part of the show or if something has gone terribly, terribly wrong. I told them I didn't like the experimental stuff, but uh, I suppose this will, this will do. <laughs> mm-hmm. Indeed. Well, I mean, if ever there was a scoop, this is it. I suppose. 
please, everyone, r- remain in your seats. We shall have the play back underway m- very soon. And I, I kind of wait for Strauss to to walk off stage and then quietly, like, you know, pick up my things, pick up my coat, adjust it ever so slightly and kind of sneak backstage to uh, or sneak over to kind of get alongside him and hit my winning grin and go. It's good. I, you were you did not. You're not disappointing. I'll tell you that much. I, aside from I'm guessing what was a lighting key, lighting cue error. That seems like the show is thrilling. That is what's happening, right? Lighting cue. Uh yeah. He's. Uh, give me an observation check on him. Uh, difficulty three. All right. My observation is three, so I will be rolling three d six. That's that's three successes. That is a critical success. So two success is a full success, three success is a crit, uh, which means you get what you want and then mm. some. So this guy, uh, he plays it off and he's like, oh, yes, well, I mean, <laughs> some of minor actors, they can't always get to lions, right? You know what I'm saying? But yes, so, I mean, <laughs> for an opening production, it's going quite well, quite well. And you see right through him, like this guy is sweating buckets. Um, he's dabbing at his brow and uh, just like looking in every direction, trying to find some solution to this situation. Come on, Kenny, what's the real scoop here? You know, I'm not just interested. You know, I'm, you know, I'm not gonna, you know me, I'm Carlisle. What's, give me the real, give me the real scoop. Carlisle, one, one, one thing at a time, one thing at a time. The show must go on. Uh, come, come, uh, follow me. He takes you backstage uh, and within short order, uh, the play is running again. And you can see from like the sidelines that someone else uh, has taken the role of Charles. And the scene uh, plays out again with someone else also taking Velvet's role. Uh, and the play concludes. Meanwhile, behind the stage... Uh, while the somewhat confused applause <laughs> takes place, um, you find yourself like backstage in the green room in the waiting areas where all the actors are setting up. And here it is chaos. Like everyone's asking questions. Everyone's just trying to figure out how to close the play and figure out what in the world happened. Uh, and in one of the costume rooms, you see... Uh, Bronson Everly lying upon like a bench unmoving oh well I was here expecting creative differences I was uh certainly not expecting a uh I mean it was a killer performance but I didn't think it would go that far mm-hmm. Stress says I I don't know how this could have happened this is madness Madness. I mean, it's it's a good thing at least we had understudies, but but what what a what a terrible thing to happen. I've already called for an ambulance, but I fear it's too late. So, mind if I take a? I mean, uh, you know, uh, understanding the story will help give context to you know the not that uh, not that I want to to spell the story of the. Uh, you know, crack the crackerjack banger of a performance, but uh, I serve certain obligations in a professional sense. Surely you understand. Would you mind if I took a look around and, you know, made note of, so see if I could piece together the narrative here? 
Oh, just, just don't get in the way, all right? Of course not, of course not. You know me, I'm Carlisle. Well, I mean, I only know you by your reputation. What is your reputation? Oh, it's not good. It's it's specifically getting in the way of murder cases, I think. I, I think that it is, it is, I have a reputation for getting involved in cases specifically kind of around you know, wealthy people and then drama kind of unfolds, right? Like, I think if we're thinking about this Mm -hmm. in the meta sense, this is like novel seven in a 19 novel series where they're, they can, they can be like, oh, you're the one from the, you're the one from the, you know, the diamond filled hat. And then you're the, the readers go, oh, the diamond filled hat. All right. Let's see uh, how much this guy knows about you. All right. There we go. How do you do? One success. So he, He's heard of you, and he knows, like, uh, only that you kind of cover stories like this. He doesn't know that much about your reputation of, like, getting in the way. So, yeah, he right now is just trying to contain the situation, and as long as you stay out of his hair, he's fine with you being there. Of course. Mm-hmm. I, I will be like a fly on the wall. It's the most effective way to report. Indeed. All right. So, um... You hear, yeah, amidst the chaos and the bustling and the people moving around to trying to close out the play, you hear in, like, uh, the makeup area, just, like, the sound of sobbing. And also there is, uh, yeah, there's the corpse also in front of you. The, so the back room, this, like, the male change area, normally it's bustling with activity, but with the corpse in the middle of it, it's just no one's here unless they explicitly have to be. Well, I'm going to take a moment to study the corpse and see, like, if there's a visible cause of death. See, we'll see if I can piece together what has happened there and then sort of take a look, see, you know, if there's no one else around, then I'll go investigate the cause of this sobbing. But it's look at the corpse and then find the sobbing after that. Sounds good. Uh, give me an observation check. Difficulty three. All right. Three D six. You said difficulty three? Difficulty three. So then I'm going to do three D six greater than two. Uh, greater than, yeah, uh, you, if you go greater than three, then roll 20 will, uh, count what well, it actually means greater oh, well, than or equal to three. <laughs> oh, got it. Okay. So that's two successes. So I, it is a success. Yep. Full success. All right. So now you're no doctor, you're no coroner, but you can tell when a man's been shot mm-hmm. and this man has been very much shot, like right in his heart as it were. Hmm. Uh, it looks like it was. Yeah, there's still some powder burns on the uh, the costume itself from, like, the close-up shot. And, yeah, it's a single shot to the heart. And it seems that he was killed instantly. Huh. The costume itself is ruined. It's, like, stained with blood. But he appears to still be wearing it. Shot through the heart. Gunshot on stage. Someone Someone replaced a blank. Okay. Let's go talk to the sobbing. Let's go talk to our sobbing party. Mm-hmm. Someone's pretty shaken up about this, and I have an idea of who it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you head to uh, the makeup area where like the stars prepare, you know, their face for the show, and you see Velvet. Uh, her makeup is a mess. There's a couple of ladies and gentlemen trying to console her, uh, but like. All the makeup is streaked with tears, and she's, like, inconsolable. 
so you approach and some of them will say, oh, please, not, not now. I don't know what this is about, but this is a terrible, terrible time. Oh, no, I, I, I understand. I, uh, well, I, <laughs> you're right. This is, this is a, a terrible time to ask this, but I was hoping to get a word with uh, Miss Delaware regarding her performance. I think that controversy, you know, I am reviewing the play uh, for, I uh, just, and I, I throw out the name of a much larger paper than I'm actually writing for. And, uh, uh-huh. you know, I don't want the events of the evening to overshadow what I think could be a tremendously career-making performance. So I was hoping to sit down with Miss Delaware for just a moment and, you know, get a quote perhaps about about uh, the unfortunate circumstances and also, you know, how sure th- thoroughly disappointed I know she must be regarding this uh, outstanding occasion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they try to wave you off, but Velvet, uh, her voice rings out, like choked a little bit with sobs. Says, "It's, it's all right. I'll, I'll, I, I can do this. Show must go on. The show must go on." Yeah, she like picks herself up a bit, raises her head, and like wipes on wipes her tears away, and says, "Uh, I haven't had the pleasure. You are." Uh, uh, Carlisle McMurray, uh, arts and entertainment writer. I handle lifestyle pieces. Uh, Velvet Delaware, actress here. I, I, yes, the play itself, it's, uh, it's a new piece. It's, uh, she's, uh, she starts to talk about it, but like, obviously is having trouble focusing. Uh, are there any questions that you want to like lead her with or? Uh, yeah, I think I, I think I'm like, um, Obviously, you know, perhaps we should start talk through the, the difficult topics so that we can kind of, you know, push through that so that it's not hanging in the air. And then we can sort of lighten it later to sort of leave on a happier note. I think that's probably the most conducive way to conduct an interview like this. So mm-hmm. if I may ask. All right. Uh, so you've got an exploit, which is like a special ability mm-hmm. that you can spend your insight on uh, for like how can I get this person to something? Oh no, I've got penetrating oh, okay. gaze, which is I, I know how to, uh, I know when someone's hiding something. Right. Okay, cool. Okay. Uh, so yeah, you use your like reporterly rapport for lack of a better mm-hmm. word uh, to try to calm it down. And yeah, she is used to taking interviews and whatever. So once you get into the familiar rhythm, she does calm down a bit and is ready to answer more of your questions. And so I, I, I think my big question is, so obviously, you know, you, being a professional to the level that you are, to the caliber that you are, you've run this performance a dozen times, surely with a prop pistol that yes, fired blanks, of correct? I mean, before the scene, every time I check the gun to make sure it's loaded, to make sure that the cartridge is in there, and ju- I did this time as well. And I swear, I swear upon my mother's soul, there was no bullet in it. Of course, I, I, of, of course not. I will spend a point of insight to know if I'm, if I'm being, if I'm being fed a line right now. Uh, so one thing you can do is roll twenty is great for being able to just like put notes down mm-hmm. on the sheet, 
and the audience can't see this, but I've got little profile cards for all the important people in the case. Yes. And what happens is that I will assign evidence points to particular clues, mm-hmm. and those are like particularly significant or incriminating pieces of evidence. Okay. Right. And you can use those later on to interrogate people and to gain experience. Sure. But uh, yeah. That makes this, sense. Because we've only got about 90 minutes, this one's going to be a pretty quick case, so it's up to you if you want to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, she says, so yeah, she says that the gun, she checked it before she went on stage and it wasn't loaded, did not have a bullet on it, did not have a bullet in it. Uh, you had another question? Yes, I was going to. You were seeing if she was hiding something from you. Yes. Um, regarding the gun, no. Okay. So like, uh, she talked honestly about the stage, like the play itself. And she talked about like checking the gun. You feel like there's something that she isn't telling you, but her reaction about the guy getting shot appears genuine. So, I mean, to have your co-star with whom you had such lovely sparkling chemistry with killed is Mm -hmm. frankly, I mean, I can't imagine what you're going through right now. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. She, so because you're using penetrating gaze, Mm -hmm. uh, you see it. She tries to like keep up the front uh, of like being professional, being calm. But especially when you make the sparkling chemistry comment, like she cracks a little and her voice wavers and she responds, says, it's, it's unthinkable. I, I don't know how this could have happened. And the thing happened by my hand. I, uh. I dropped care. I dropped sort of the reporterly bit. I dropped sort of the smarm for a minute, and I, my my feature is kind of hardened for just a second. And I say, "No one will or does blame you for what happened." And I assure you, the light of truth will come out and will shine on the person responsible. Mm-hmm. She, like, hesitates, then nods and says, "Thank you." I, I, I hope you're right. I really do. Uh, and it's at that point that someone behind you yells, "You harlot! How dare you!" Someone like rushes in and basically assaults Velvet. I am going to. Uh, so, oh, okay. I think I'm going to. You know, stand up and stand in, in front of her so that I'm between the two parties and just sort of position myself there. Okay, uh, give me a muscle check, difficulty three, to try to like keep this person away from her. Six greater than three. That is a success. Hey, all right. Uh, so, so this lady, uh, you like hold her back and you see that she is like a uh, pretty woman in an evening dress. Must have been in the audience, you think. Uh, and yeah, you, you see that she's like, she's been crying herself and is coming at, coming at Velvet, accusing her of having killed the man. And, uh, although you take a couple of scratches from her flailing, you are able to keep the situation under control from escalating any further. I, I, I think I kind of, am like, listen, please, please, please. We cannot. Throwing around accusations will not help anyone if, and I, 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 I 
surreptitiously hand her like my my business card and i'm like (laughs) throwing around accusations we should let the police handle that i will you know there are far there will be a time to suss out the full story business card please i i can't we can't have this right now we velvet needs time to rest she needs time in a cell that's what she needs and i'm like trying to gently kind of guide her out of the room while being like, mm-hmm. no, no, th- th- it, listen, this is not, I, I cannot stand for something like this. Velvet, Velvet, please mm-hmm. relax. It's okay. Yeah. So some of the other stagehands help you escort her out. Uh, and yeah, she, like, y- you take her out from backstage and you hear her just like collapse in the alley behind the theater, uh, sobbing. And I sit down right next to her and I say, so... Tell me the full story. <sighs> Bronson and I, we were, we were lovers. And, well, I mean, he, he told me, he told me he'd leave her. That he'd come back to me. And then, to think that she'd shoot him. I can't imagine such a terrible thing. I can't imagine the pain that you must be going through right now. I neither can I. It's 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 indescribable. But uh, the full story. He, Bronson, and I we we were together for months before this. And when this show started, he began he began seeing that that harpy. And he didn't have time for me anymore. Of course. I mean, I, I mean that's terrible. Like it's tragedy, and I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that you went through that. <laughs> she nods. What brought you to the play tonight? Was it a gift from Bronson? Was it to see a final farewell of your tortured enemy? What you know, or are you just here to, <laughs> uh, I guess, gloat? Like what you know? Give me the. Uh, when I ask for the full story, I want the full story. Well, I mean, I first saw Bronson on the stage. I caught his eye in the audience. I was hoping... I was hoping that I could catch it again. (sighs) A heart split in twain. He... He was going to leave her. He told me this. Of course, of course he did. Of course he did. I... I don't know what could have happened. Well, I assure you, the truth will come out by the end of the evening. Uh, she nods. So, well, if there's if there's anything you need from me, please, please let me know. I want to know what happened. I want to know who's behind this. We will we will get to the bottom of this. I assure you. You have my word as a journalist. Finding stories is what I do, and no story is complete without an ending. Mm-hmm. She nods. Uh, so yeah, you can see on the crime board right now, you've got three mm-hmm. evidence points and I'll just tell you what they represent. Uh, so one of them is for Bronson, which mm-hmm. is like, he is dead. That is a pretty strong piece of evidence <laughs> that something has gone wrong. Uh, and now you've got one on Velvet and one on this lady who introduces herself as Nellie Stabler. And uh, yeah, you've got one piece on each of them for being like romantically involved with Bronson. Mm. 
Well, someone swapped out a bullet with a live... Someone swapped out a bullet for a blank. Someone swapped a live cartridge for a fake. And if Velvet is to be believed, and I truly believe that she did, that she is, I don't think... I don't think her performance was that good. I think... Mm -hmm. She didn't know, and I believe she honestly checked it, which means somebody tested it very, very quickly after she checked it, knowing that she checked it before every performance in the scene beforehand, which means they had to be close. Uh, she nods. I mean, there's there's dozens of people back there, almost hundreds. This is true. But someone... Even even I was there earlier. You were there earlier. I was trying to you know wish him luck before the show. Did you get a hold of him? Only for a moment. I mean, once you're not allowed backstage if you're not part of the show, and I was thrown out pretty quickly. But he did spare a moment for me. It was the last time I ever saw him. I'm going to spend this clue point on her, or this point of evidence on her. Mm-hmm. Did he seem, okay. uh, and, and try to get to the bottom of, like, did he seem happy to see you? What was his demeanor like? What was, what was in, you know, tell me about the last time that you saw your great love. So, uh, the way these evidence points works, work, rather, is when you're talking to someone and, like, you want to, like, start grilling them or interrogate mm-hmm. them, you can, uh, you can take everything you've learned about them, and it works like an attribute check, except the number of dice is the number of evidence points you have against them. Mm, got it. Right? So, yeah, you roll against their resistance, which will vary depending on how stubborn they are. Um, and if you succeed, any level of success will let, will make them, like, answer your questions. Got it. They might not answer them honestly, but they'll answer them. And you can also spend them for special effects in in the rulebook, like getting, to, getting them to volunteer information or provide a service, that kind of thing. So right now she's already answering your questions, so there's no reason to like push further at this point. That makes sense. So tell me, tell me the last time, tell me about the last time you saw your great love, you know, give me, give me the rundown. I mean, well, he, he, he talks a big game, but he was always nervous before a show. I, I think that's the kind of thing that never, never really goes away. Especially when you have standards like his to live up to. Standards like his. Yes. I mean, he's, He's known throughout London. He's he's Bronson Everly. Of course. Big name like that has to put on a big performance. Indeed. I mean, you saw the hall. It was packed. Of course. It was beyond packed. It was... I mean, everybody who's everybody was there. She nods. But he didn't, he didn't mention anything. He... Well, he thanked me. Uh, I told him to break a leg. And... Well, he kissed me goodbye. Interesting. Okay. Well, uh, I believe I have a few other people to speak to before the night is over, but uh, I hope that you won't travel too far. I might need to talk to you further. Mm-hmm. Of, of, of course. And I'm sure the police need to check in with you as well. I'll I'll wait for you in the sitting room of the, of the hall. Thank you. All right. Good luck. Luck is for amateurs. I'm a professional. Mm, damn. All right, so uh, you you head back like backstage, and you see a man 
walking around trying to organize things, trying to keep things moving. Uh, and like you hear people refer to him as Max. And he's like this middle-aged guy with mm-hmm. uh, puffy hair. And he's like stressed. And he's trying to get the final scenes of the play going. Uh, he says, Edmund, Edmund, you're on the next scene. Change already, damn it. The costume's not there. Find another one. Find something that fits. Excuse me, I don't mean to bother. This is not a good time. Well, uh, I mean, when is for, you know, press interviews? Press? Look, we've, we have enough problems without you snooping around here. I, well, I I assure you I am here strictly as a reviewer of A Heart Split in Twain, which, might I say, as a director, obviously circumstances have clouded, but you must be proud. <sighs> well, I mean, I was. You, look, right now I need to focus on getting this done, all right? Now is not the time for questions, please. After the show, I'll talk to you all you want. Of course, of course, of course. I, I, I... Please go off and do your do your thing. Um, I'm trying to decide if I should spend my other point of insight and see if he's shuffling me off for the show or shuffling me off because he doesn't trust me. Well, what I can tell you is that uh, once the show closes, the police are probably going to lock down the place and start talking to people. So you've got until final curtain to like look around. Okay. Uh, this guy, like, he does legitimately look really busy trying to keep things moving. Uh, but there's other people. I mean, you've got all the people up here. I mean, one of them's dead, but <laughs> his body's still there. Uh, you can look around the scene or you can, like, talk to other people as well to see if you can figure out what happened before the police get here. Yeah, okay. I think I'm going to, can I, tr- I'm going to try and speak to Edmund. I think I have some questions for our understudy. Mm-hmm. All right. So you wait for one of the scenes to uh, to finish. Uh, it must be a flashback scene or something because his character died. Oh, uh, the the understudy. Oh, yes, yes, the understudy. Oh, well then, yeah, he should be backstage, so I should be able to pull him aside pretty easily. Yeah. So yeah, like it makes sense. After after the character dies, he's only back for a couple more scenes as like a ghost or something. So you do find him, uh, and. Yeah, he looks like he's he's like pacing back and forth and like muttering under his breath. Everything okay? What? Oh, uh, yes, just coming over my lines. Sorry, I I should introduce myself. Carlisle McMurray. I'm an arts and entertainment writer. I'm writing a, profi- a review and I, gosh, stepping into Bronson Everly's shoes mid-performance. What? I would love to get into your mind for a moment. Of of course. Well, I mean, who wouldn't want that role? But I, I, I wish, I wish he'd called in sick or something. You know, not like this. No, of course not. Nothing. You. This is the last thing that you would want. But I mean, certainly, it's a big break. Uh, he nods. It's like, well, there's only so many. Where someone like me gets noticed, I suppose. I suppose his loss is my gain in this regard. Although I don't want to think about it that way. Now, right now, right now, my focus is just to do him justice. 
to make sure his final performance is one worthy of his name. And my word must, I, I must say, that, you know, the little, the, the small amount that I've seen since then, my goodness, I feel like you're really doing the character justice. It feels like you know this role better than, well, I, I don't want to speak ill, but it sounds like you know this role better than I know the back of my hand. Yeah, give me a observation check, difficulty five. All right. No, so, oh, no, it's the... Let me... Oh, you should have another die there. Yes. Yep, because you got three observation. So let's see if you can get something. Nope, nothing. Nothing. Yeah, so you didn't get much of a chance to look at him before you headed backstage. Um, so yeah, like, you're praising him like this, but you're not sure how his performance actually was. Hmm. But he says, well, I've still got, I've still got a scene or two to go, but I'm going to do my best, both for Bronson and for myself. Understood. So, if I may ask one one last question, just one more thing. Yeah, of, co- of course, of course. I've heard some rumors about Bronson's personal life entering into the show space. Have you noticed anything? You mean his theater company? Yeah, his theater company. Oh, you meant something else. Uh... Tell me about the theater company. Well, I mean, I, I'm. Well, I suppose it doesn't really matter now, does it? No, Bronson. He, well, he was stepping away from acting. You know, of course, he wanted to take the reins himself. That kind of thing. He was, he was starting his own group, his own troupe, as it were. He he asked me to join him. He did, did he? Did you accept? Yes. I've. <laughs> Did I accept? I mean, this is Bronson Neverly. If he said if he asked me to jump, I'd ask him how high. Of course, of course. It was. I mean, it could have been a massive opportunity for me. Of course, it would have been game changing. It would have been a life changing event for you. I mean, it would have been a life changing event for Bronson to go from being the star on the stage to being a director. He nods slowly. Well, I mean. <sighs> Who knows how it would have spun out, but, well, I I don't want to think about my career at a time like this. I have to focus on the role. I have to focus. You have to focus on tonight, and that's tonight is everything. He nods. Yeah, that's that's right. (sighs) I just need to keep things going until the curtain closes. That's all. That's all we need to do. That's easy. Of course. Of course. Well, break a leg. <sighs> Thank you. Uh, yeah, he turns and like starts muttering his lines again. So our 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 star was headed behind the screen, headed behind the scenes, if it, as you were. Mm. Quite interesting. I'd like to go speak again to Velvet. Yep. All right. So, yeah, she's. Uh, retired from like the public area and is like in a waiting room somewhere nearby uh, because apparently a fancy theater has lots of backstage space. Uh, so yeah, she there's like one other woman there who is keeping her company uh, and so no one challenges you to go in. Oh, Mr. Carlisle. Uh, well, welcome back. What's this? Is there something else? Have you Have you found anything out? Well, I had some further questions for 
more of the story is unfolding. Have you heard about Bronson's uh, aspirations of directing? Directing? I, I, I didn't know anything about that. He never mentioned it to me. Really? Yes. That is very strange. I feel like I feel like someone of your, you know, after working with you so closely, I'm sure he should have met, would have mentioned it to you at least a little bit. Well, I mean, we we did talk out off stage sometimes. I for him to do something like that, I can't imagine he wouldn't have told me. I can't imagine. Well, I mean, whatever his plans were, I suppose they're done with now. Well, thank you. I suppose that's all I've got from you. I just needed to... Trying to get a bigger, greater picture of, you know, the man. I'm trying to get a greater picture of what he was like behind the scenes. You know, obviously this is going to... My review is going to have elements of an obituary, and I need to know the full picture of who Bronson Everly was. And it sounds like the two of you knew each other very closely, so I trust... She tells you a bit more about him, how he was like eminently professional, uh, very kind to his fans, very kind to his fellow actors, that kind of thing. Uh, and yeah, she paints a very positive picture of him. How he was like a pleasure to work with as well, because I mean, a lot of actors in this space are kind of up to their asses. But yeah, if you cared about the play, then Bronson cared about you. So, not to pry. Let me cut. Let me cut right to it. What's your side of this romance story? Oh, oh I, I'm sure I don't know what you mean. Well, Nellie Stabler seems to think the two of you were quite a close item. Yeah, so she gets expression on her face, uh, like that, like she's been found out, and she says, "Oh, I, well, if it's all the same to you, I wish it wouldn't appear in the papers." Of course, no. This is strictly off. This is. I feel like my life is going to be difficult enough. In the coming weeks, without that hounding me. I just want to make sure I don't publish anything wrong that someone else has said. Well, well, yes, Bronson, he was, he had been seeing Nelly before. And before this show started, he and I, well, yes, we had been seeing each other as well. I suppose he left her for me. And had he, had he told you that? He had left her for you? Well, she did. <laughs> she hounded me on occasion. And with accusations, that kind of thing. Uh, I mean, it stopped a couple of months ago. I, I th figured she'd had enough of it. Still, I'm not surprised to see her here. Why not? Well, even with everything else between them, she's still a huge fan of his. Of course. It's... It's so strange. I I can't I can't imagine this show continuing without him. I mean, Edmund is capable, but this is going to cast a shadow over the whole the whole production, I think. Yes, I, I, I am afraid that it will. But yes, this I he, as I said, he hadn't told me anything about his plans to stop to, to a directing role. I suppose every actor thinks about it. Yes, I suppose every actor does, but few follow through with it, or at least attempt to. Well, I mean, Bronson, if I were to hazard to guess, he had the resources, he had the skills. 
And if he asked, I'm sure he had the people. Uh, it sounds like he did. Well, perhaps he just hadn't gotten around to asking me yet. Yeah, I... I suppose we'll find out. I suppose we will. Oh, my. All right, so if you don't have any other questions for her... I don't believe I do. Uh, I can talk a bit. I can talk a bit about special actions you can take. Yes, please. Mm-hmm. So outside of just, like, looking at crime scenes or locations and talking to witnesses, you can also perform a couple of actions to gather information, like asking around an area, or if you've got, like, a store of information, whether that be someone's financial records or Facebook or whatever, you can, like, dig deep into that and try to find connections uh, within the case, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can also stake out locations and tail people, but I don't think they're going to be particularly... Uh, relevant in this adventure. Yeah, we're, we're 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 on a tight timeline and we're on a tight location, so we need to. So yeah, if you want to like ask around with the uh, with the other actors and try to confirm some of these things, you can totally do that. I think that's what I'm going to do. I think I'm going to ask around, okay. try to get pictures of, you know, Bronson's uh, aspirations of directing. Get ask see if the, if it was two lovers or if it was more. Get a picture of Bronson and also kind of. Mm-hmm. Get a picture of Max. Okay, cool. Uh, give me an observation check, uh, difficulty four. Difficulty four. So the way this works is that it's much like any other attribute check. Oh, damn, look at that. That's three successes. That's a critical. Yeah, but instead of having a graded success like a normal check, you get to spend those dice, like hold them and spend them to uh, ask me questions, mm. specific questions. So let me just bring them up. That sounds great. Scroll, scroll, scroll. That sounds great. Uh, here we go. Ask around. So yes, uh, you can find a witness to an event. You can discover local knowledge about a topic, or you can discover notable recent events. So if you want to find out more about Bronson, uh, yeah, discover local knowledge about Bronson and see and yeah. his like directing aspirations. Let's discover some local knowledge about Bronson. Sure. Uh, so you ask around and find people who aren't busy or uh, have a minute to talk to you, mm-hmm. and you find uh, that indeed he has been talking to a couple of people. Like, he's cherry-picked individuals, both in the cast and in, like, the stage crew, uh, and told them about his plans to start his own theater group. Um, and, yeah, from from what you can tell, like, these are people that he respects and he wants to just, like, poach from this. Which makes it strange that he wouldn't have talked to Velvet. That does make it strange. Yeah. So, uh, a lot of the people here uh, would be, like, tied to this group. Because they're a pretty prolific one, and they work directly for uh, Maximilian. Mm-hmm. Give me some. Let me see if there's any local events regarding Max and Bronson, like their interactions, their relationship, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, you know, yeah, you find out that during like the development display, they had some like creative differences, where mm-hmm. uh, Bronson was on occasion would want things to go a particular way. And Max would just put the hammer down and say, no, my way. And that might be, yeah, like that's, oh, that was a point of contention between them, like creative control of the script, that kind of thing. Of course. And uh, I think for my last question, I would love to get some local knowledge about who Max is as a person. Sure. Um, You, yeah, so as I was going to say, you can pick the same option multiple times and just ask like different things. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was like greatly respected. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, he had a bit of a reputation as a playboy. Um, 
and in the years preceding this, like he tended to go from lady to lady a bit. Of course. Um, most of them know about Nelly and that he'd been with her uh, for like about a year before he started seeing Velvet. And some people know about the Velvet thing. It isn't like common knowledge, but some people had their suspicions. Of course. Well, I think it's back to Nelly. I think it's back to to, to mm-hmm. follow up with Nelly in the seating room. I, I pull sure. up, I, I, you know, get a drink. I sit next to her. Um, yeah, because we have a limited mm-hmm. time frame, I'll also point out that the gun itself might be important. Oh, yeah. I should probably check <laughs> that out. Yeah, so you remember there's an evidence point yes. for Velvet, which I haven't actually put there, which is like, um, yeah, she checked the gun. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't loaded, like, before she went on stage. And there was, like, a narrow window in which it was, right. like, waiting. So, you can talk to Nelly, or you can look into something else if you want. Can I go take a look at the gun? Is it still near the body? Absolutely. Um, so, the gun is in the prop area. And you take a look at it, and give me an observation check. Uh, difficulty 4. 3d6, greater than 4. Two successes. Nice. All right. So you look at the gun and it's like a flintlock, basically. Um, it looks so guns like these are often used in shows because you just need to put the uh, the gun the gunpowder yeah, cartridge right. and then and just not leave a bullet and they'll be like, oh no, he's been shot. It's a great stage effect. Uh, so for all intents and purposes, it is like a real gun. It's just you don't put a bloody bullet in there. <laughs> so someone slipped a bullet in here after she had taken the stage. Yeah. I mean, ostensibly. Unless she's hiding something about that. Yes, but you already used your penetrating gaze to discover that she wasn't. Ah, so I know that I know that she's not. I know that she checked it, didn't find the bullet. Someone put it in there. She pulled the trigger. So someone mm-hmm. once yeah, so it was a window of a couple of minutes. Someone with access to the gun, a window of a few minutes, with reason to paint Velvet as the killer. Because she's going to be suspect one. She's the one that pulled the trigger. Mm-hmm. Someone. She's the one with the romantic history. She's the one with the dramatic history. She's the one. Oh, she's the one with the romantic history with Bronson. She's the one. She wasn't asked to be part of the production. Mm-hmm. I think now I'm going to talk to Nelly. Okay. Uh, so Nelly is, yeah, uh, at this point, like, the cast is taking their final bow, and but she's, like, waiting in the room, uh, waiting in the front lobby, and she sees you approach and says, Oh, Carlisle, have you found anything? Yes, I believe so. Tell me, did you know that Bronson was aiming for it to be, to be a director? Oh, yes. He talked about it incessantly. Incessantly? Ooh. Maybe not incessantly, but he was very excited about it. No, of, of course. No, no, that's that matches the picture of the man that we're painting. Somebody that knew that he wanted more and was not afraid to talk about it. Was Knew what he wanted. <sighs> Understood. That's. I just needed to know that he told you. This puts a lot into perspective. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, I mean, he did say that he wanted to uh, invite Velvet as well, but 
Well, I'd be a lot more comfortable if she wasn't there. Well, yeah, I, I told them as much. And and again, Mike, I drop the facade for a second, and I just lean in. Well, you'll be happy to know that he didn't ask her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, she nods and says, I know he, well, he promised me he'd, uh, he wouldn't do that. And I, I suppose I do get a bit jealous sometimes, but. No, I understand. I just wanted you to know that it sounds like he kept his word. Mm-hmm. She nods. He kept his word about not inviting her to the show. I can't imagine he didn't keep his word about the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she nods like tears forming in her eyes. He was, he was a good man. He was a good man. He was a good man who was done wrong. And by the end of the show, the truth will come out. Please, if you can find out who did this, I mean, I don't, I don't trust the police to really care about this, to figure out who did it. You don't, you don't think it was Velvet? I don't believe it was, but I, I, I have, I have one more person to speak to. If you'll excuse me. All right. Uh, yeah, she nods and lets you go. Yeah, so uh, by the time you get backstage, like the final bow's been taken and um, yeah, everyone backstage is trying to figure out what to do now before the police get here. Uh, and yeah, some of them are schmoozing awkwardly with the uh, cu- with the guests, with the audience who are like, so what happened to Bronson? That was kind of weird. Um, and yeah, you find Max behind stage and he's like trying to direct things to like clean up. Now, uh, uh, Mr. Knowlton, the show is over and I believe that we had a deal. (sighs) Yes. All right. What do you want? I I suppose I can spare a minute. Um, well, I just, you know, getting a full picture of a production of the scope is very important. So... Uh, if you'll indulge me, I just want to make sure that, as someone who is backstage, that I have my facts straight. Is that all right with you? Get on with it. Come on. We only have an hour to get out of the theater. Well, let's, uh, let me run through the facts as I see them very quickly. Uh. Of course. Bronson and Velvet are on stage together. Bronson, uh, Velvet has a well-documented tradition of... And uh, I'm going to uh, use my evidence. Uh, I'm going to use some evidence points mm-hmm. here. And I'm going to, as I lay out the facts, I'm going to call on the dice that I'm using, if that's all right. Absolutely. So uh, only a few moments, a well-documented tradition of checking the barrel, seeing if there's a bullet inside, firing the gun. Only a few minutes before when she checks it and when she and when the gun is fired. So whomever uses, whoever, so somebody with access to that gun had to be the one to pull that trigger. Someone like one of the stage crew, one of the stage crew could have, of course, I'm a lot of people are running around. Someone also had to know that Velvet had reason in theory to hate Bronson Velvet, or at least so the police would think so the media would think so the story would appear Velvet had reason to pull that trigger. She has having an affair or Bronson was having and it was a heart split in twain, if you will. Huh? You see what I did there? <laughs> Here, he raises his eyebrow. Is that so? Of course. And I guess my last question. Well, one of my last questions. You know how reports go. Mm-hmm, always with the questions. Of course. 
Bronson also was looking to take one of your actors and form his own company. What? Oh. I I haven't heard anything about that. I'm going to use my point of insight and confirm whether or not this man is hiding anything. Uh, He's totally hiding something from you. Perfect. So, it's noted that the two of you had creative differences. It's noted that only a few moments of time between when Velvet thought to be suspected to be a jealous, spurned lover, had the affair. Bronson, pulling his own company. Well, what what are you saying? Are you you accusing me of something? Uh, I believe that's four points of evidence that I'm rolling on right now. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, give me an interrogate check with four dice, uh, difficulty five. Then five. Throw another one in there. 46 greater than five. Three successes. Oh, damn. Look at that. Uh, so, yeah, he'll answer your questions and you can also get him to volunteer information. Or you can just, like, use this to grill him and, like, pin him to the ground, I suppose. So, your star actor, your star actor, the star attraction, the thing that brings people to the play, or at least the common trash, and I adjust my jacket ever so pointedly. Mm-hmm. Uh huh is going to leave. Someone that you've butted heads with for a very long time. Someone you've watched gallivant playboy around town split between two lovers. The jilted ex is in the audience. The other on stage, gun in hand. Only a few moments. The understudy is leaving town, is leaving your production alongside your star. You are left without a lead actor. Only a few moments just barely enough time for a stagehand or a prop expert, someone that knows the show very well, that has watched every single performance, someone that has been present for every single time they've watched Velvet look in that barrel of that gun. What? What, what are you saying? Why'd you do it? Was it just, was it jealous? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I understand why you did it. I guess I'm just wondering... When? When did you swap? When did you drop in the bullet? I gave Bronson everything. I took him from nothing, and I raised him to where he is now. And now, how did you repay me? By taking my people? By leaving me with nothing? What was I supposed to do? Uh, I think you did exactly. You, you promised the people a killer performance, and it seems like that's exactly what you gave him, Max. <laughs> <laughs> he he was nothing without me he thought he knew how to direct but he was a wretched a wretched man mm. I could find dozens of him but but no he just had to go too far of course he I could find another star but I couldn't find another company and who would people follow who would people see of course they'd go to watch Bronson Everly of course. No, the only way my business survives is if he died. And so died he did. Well, uh, so yeah, how do you want to wrap this up? He just like fumes and like holds his hand in his head. I'm going to name my contact. Uh, and it's going to be a police detective that I think shows up dramatically at this moment because that feels like the right closing note. So yeah. 
Yeah. So as he's like giving us confession, uh, the door to the room like swings backward to reveal someone's been listening the whole time. Uh, that would be Detective. Uh, we'll go uh, Cynthia Lorraine. Mm-hmm. So Cynthia uh, like has a notebook and her policeman's hat and just like raises her eyebrow as he just like in- drives himself further and further into the pit and says, well, I believe I've got everything I need. Thank you, Carlisle. Oh, you know how to pay me back. We'll trip into the evidence locker next time I need to crack a story. <laughs> for you, Carlisle, anything. As for you, I'm afraid it's curtain call. And I think I think I I think I turn and I, I take my seat. I grab, you know, a glass of wine and I kick back and I say The show must go on. And I think that's game. <laughs> Indeed. All but- right. And that's credits. That was so much fun. Thank you so much for playing with me. That was great. Thank you. Uh, Yeah, it was. Yeah, when you said like, hey, can we have like a 60, 90 Mm -hmm. minute mystery? I'm like, huh. I usually time these like three to four hours at least. But but yeah, like it's it's interesting trying to design something that's like that fits into this time frame. I think it played perfectly. I think it felt like a, I think it felt like an episode of like a made for TV mystery show. Like I think it played exactly right. And I loved it. So thank you for coming on and playing with me. This was a delight. Absolutely. So real quick before we wrap up, where can people find you and gray cells online? Yes. Uh, so you can find me on Twitter at, uh, sometimes cipher because sometimes cipher was taken. Um, and on, kickstarter you can find gray cells at well just look for gray cells rpg on kickstarter and you'll find the stuff there uh you can contact me directly if you want a copy of the playtest rules and a uh, sample case to get yourself started it's like a cool hard-boiled case with that mm-hmm. of like this detective that gets killed when he reopens an old case and you got to figure out what went on that kind of thing uh that one is a much longer case than this um and yeah those are the two main places you can find me So if you're interested, send me a line. Love it. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was a delight. And now I'm going to throw it over to me in the future so that he can wrap up with the show. Take it, future me. Thanks, Mass Me. And thanks again to Cypher for coming on to the show. That game was, oh, it was so perfect. I loved it. I love that game top to bottom. It was an absolute delight. Be sure to check the show notes for more information about Gray Cells and be sure to follow Cypher on Twitter at Sometimes Cypher. Then while you're on Twitter, follow us at Party of One Pod. Then like the show at Facebook at facebook.com slash Party of One Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, consider leaving us a nice iTunes review, Podchaser review, wherever you listen to podcasts, consider leaving us a nice review. All of those things help us get new listeners, which helps us grow and do bigger, better, and cooler things. You can also consider backing the game design, podcasting, and all the sorts of community things that I do at patreon.com slash jeffstormer. That directly funds all of the cool projects that I've got going on, and I deeply appreciate it. You can also just tell a friend you like the show, give us a shout out on social media. However you want to get the word out and help this show grow and prosper and succeed, I deeply, deeply appreciate it. You will always, every single time, make my entire day. Another way you can make my day is by listening to all my fantasy children. AMFC is a character creation, storytelling, and world building podcast powered by you. Every week, my best friend Aaron Catano Saez and I take a listener submitted prompt. We spin it into an original fantasy character and we populate a shared universe one story at a time. New episodes drop every Friday at allmyfantasychildren.com. 
Party of One is produced and edited, as always, by Jeff Stormer and Jed Frank. All music for the show comes from the song Infinite Lives by Megaran, featuring the D&D Sluggers. If you'd like to inquire about advertising rates, press coverage, or about coming onto the show as a guest, you can shoot me an email at partyofonepodcast at gmail.com. And that's it for me. Until next time, thank you so much for listening. Remember to fight the forces of fascism every single day. Remember that self-love and self-care are radical and defiant acts of resistance. And as always, party on, everybody. Party on, everybody.